0: This quarter are kind of going through and looking at the uh, family tree of Jesus. Um, as Nathan discussed last week, um, a lot of people are really into their personal family tree, right? Where do they come from? Do they have, you know, heritage from, you know, a certain area of Europe or other parts of the world? You know, did you have, you know, family back in the day that were served in various wars or different capacities? So a lot of people do research into their own family trees, and uh, as Nathan indicated, you can also, you know, send in your own DNA sample, and they can tell you, you know, where your heritage came from, right? So there's all this technology now um, that we can do. Um, We are fortunate that in the Bible we have a very detailed account of the family tree or the genealogy of Jesus, And when we look at the genealogy of Jesus, where he came from, um, really we're looking at the story of the Bible. All right? The vast majority of the Old Testament is really devoted to that specific line. The line that started with Adam, that went through Noah and Abraham, and then all the way through David and all the kings of Israel and then Judah. Right? Most of those stories are people that are in that family tree or that genealogy of Jesus. And uh, we have really good records of this because of the fact that the Jewish people were very much into their ancestry. And because they kept very, very precise records of who their ancestors were, Right, much of that is preserved for us in our inspired word so i just realized i don't have the clicker patrick is it up here maybe oh there we go all right and as we kind of go through and look at these different people along the timeline along the genealogy of christ what i want us to really focus in on is this really simple statement all right god used imperfect people to do great things You could also say God used all kinds of people to do great things because when you look at the people that were in the ancestry, the family tree of Jesus, you have some that were great men of faith like Abraham and like Enoch who didn't die, who God took him because he was so faithful. Um, You have David, who was named a man after God's own heart, right? You have all these really great pillars. But then you also have people on the other end of the spectrum, like King Manasseh, right? I was thinking earlier, who was the worst man in this list? And he would definitely be up there on the list, right? One of the kings of Judah that offered child sacrifices, right? Not a good guy, but he was in that same lineage of Jesus, as was King David and Abraham. But regardless of whether they were on one end of the spectrum or the other, they were all imperfect, just as we ourselves are also all imperfect people. All right? We hope that someone might say, Oh, Keith, that was a man after God's own heart, right? But even if that can be said about us, like it was David, we are all still imperfect people. But God uses every last one of us, and God used every last one of these men and women to carry out his ultimate plan, to carry out the plan of the Bible, right, the gospel. All right, so as we kind of dig in here, we'll start by reviewing a little bit. Um, So... In the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, uh, we have uh, two accounts there in the Gospels of the lineage of Jesus. Uh, Matthew's account is in chapter 1, and Luke's account is in chapter 3. And they obviously are quite similar, but there are some differences between the two, um, namely where they begin and also where they end. So in Matthew's account, if you want to flip over there, that you can. But we'll just kind of review some highlights here. Matthew begins with Abraham. Why does Matthew's account begin with Abraham? Who was his audience that he was writing to? Exactly, the Jewish people. Matthew, his account of the gospel was really written for the Jews. And the Jews trace their lineage back to... The father of the Jewish people, right? Abraham. That's who they cared about the most. And so Matthew wanted to ensure that the people realized that Jesus came from Abraham, the father of the faithful, the father of the Jewish people. And Matthew is going to carry his lineage all the way through Joseph. All right, so Joseph, as you know, was not really the biological father of Jesus. He came about from immaculate conception, virgin birth. Joseph was more like a, you know, adopted father of Jesus. But the reason Matthew wanted to carry the lineage of Jesus through Joseph is because he wanted to stress the kingly lineage of Jesus joseph came from the line of kings david solomon rehoboam right and then after the divided kingdom all those kings of the southern kingdom of judah right men like hezekiah and uh, josiah even manasseh right but matthew wanted to stress to his audience to his readers that jesus was going to inherit the throne not the earthly throne that they perhaps wanted, but the heavenly throne. But Jesus was in the line of the kings through his father, Joseph. All right, and then we have another account in Luke that differs a little bit. Who was Luke's audience? Who did Luke write to? the gentiles right luke wasn't really writing to the jews he addressed his his uh, uh, gospel to uh, theophilus as he did in acts as well he was writing to non-jewish people right they didn't care about kings they didn't care about abraham they want to know is this man the messiah did he come from god and so luke's going to start all the way back at the beginning Luke's going to start all the way back with Adam, and even he says in Luke, Adam who came from God. So technically, he's tracing it all the way back to God, all right? And so Luke traces it from Adam all the way through Mary. And Luke is going to take the actual bloodline of Jesus. So Mary was the biological mother of Jesus, so Luke takes a different route in tracing that lineage, and he does so through the actual biological or the blood lineage. So we had these two accounts there in Matthew and Luke. They serve different purposes, you might say, um, all based off of what was the goal of the author, all right? Who was the target audience? What were they trying to really illustrate in these two different accounts? All right, so um, let's do some quiz time now. So I don't know how well you all can see this, but I've got some blanks up here, and we're going to keep on adding more blanks as we go through this quarter because I'm a teacher and I like to quiz people, and repetition, I know, is how you learn. So starting up there at the very beginning, we know that Adam was the first man. So which of the sons of Adam carried the lineage of Jesus? Seth. All right, good. So our first blank there is going to be Seth. And then we have Enos, Kenan, Mahalil, Jared, Lamech, or sorry, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah. And then we have the son of Methuselah, who would also be the father of the man that built the boat, who was the father of Noah. Lamech that is correct all right we got Methuselah then Lamech and then Noah and then we trace it on up through Shem remember Noah had three sons Shem Ham and Japheth Shem is going to be the one that carried the bloodline of Jesus and then we have a bunch of people that no one knows their names because they're really just mentioned briefly in genealogies And eventually we get to Abraham. All right, Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. That's who God made those promises to. You'll inherit um, the promised land through your seed. Uh, I'll make all nations of the earth be blessed. And, of course, Abraham had his son a promise, Isaac, and he also had Ishmael as well. But Isaac, this promised son, would carry that lineage of Jesus through his uh, son Jacob, the younger of the twins, And then we all know that Jacob had 12 sons. So which of the 12 sons of Jacob did God carry the lineage of Jesus? All right, Judah. Through Judah, God would carry that bloodline of Jesus. And then we have some additional generations you see right there. Um, Boaz, we'll talk about uh, later this quarter. Um, He, of course, uh, married Ruth. Uh, and then we have their son Obed, and then Obed was the grandfather of King David. But then we have one generation in between them. Who was the father of King David? Jesse, Jesse exactly. All right, so Obed begot Jesse, Jesse begot David. Now here's where it gets a little bit more interesting, perhaps, because we have a branching Here's where we have a branching of our genealogies. right? So David had a lot of sons and he had some daughters as well because he had several different wives. Um, but one of his wives was Bathsheba. And through Bathsheba he had a few sons and two different sons of David are going to be accounted for in the genealogy of Jesus. One through Matthew's account and one through Luke's account because at this point, Mary and Joseph's lineages are going to diverge. All right? Up to this point, Mary and Joseph have had the same lineage. They both came from the family of David, but through different sons. So in the lower portion of this, um, man, Patrick is so good. In the lower portion of this, we have all the kings, right? You see those names up there that look familiar to you? right, we got Rehoboam, Asa, Jehoshaphat, uh, Ahaz, Jeconiah, Josiah, the boy king, Manasseh, the really horrible king, Hezekiah, who prayed to God for additional years of his life. We have all those kings. This is the kingly lineage. So which of the parents of Jesus came from the kingly lineage? All right. Oh, sorry, yeah, Solomon uh, is the empty blank, sorry. But which of, the, which of Jesus' parents, Mary or Joseph? Joseph, exactly. So if you see right there under Jesus Christ, Joseph, the father of Jesus, came from this lineage. And then Solomon, of course, was the son of David um, that carried through the kingly lineage. All right, but if you go up to, out to the top portion, we have a bunch of names that probably none of you are very familiar with. I certainly am not. Um, Because these were not kings, but these were the men that carried the bloodline of Jesus. They're the ones that eventually led up to the mother of Jesus, who was, of course, Mary. All right, and the son of David, did you see right there at the top, Nathan. Nathan was the great, 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 etc., grandfather of Mary. All right, so two sons of David, Solomon and Nathan... Would diverge at this point but if you remember where did mary and joseph travel to in preparation before jesus was born where did they go for the census bethlehem why bethlehem it's the city of david but why did they go to the city of david because they were descendants of david Right, Mary and Joseph were both descendants of David and they both traveled to Bethlehem for that census and that's where Jesus would be born. right In the city of David, in Bethlehem, because they were both from that lineage or from that genealogy of King David. All right, Uh, Patrick, if you'll zoom back out, I'll go on to the next slide. Thank you. All right, well, first of all, I'll show all these answers. And then we'll go. All right, so one more quiz question before we jump on. Matthew's account specifically records a few women, not just men, that are in this lineage of Jesus. And we'll look at each one of them this quarter. But who were some of the women that Matthew specifically called out as being in that bloodline of Jesus? Rahab, Rahab was one of them. Ruth. 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 Uh, Tamar. Tamar. Mary, there's one other not mentioned by name, but she was mentioned as Uriah's wife. Bathsheba, Bathsheba, exactly. So we'll look at each one of these this quarter. But most of the people you'll read about in Matthew were all men. But Matthew takes special care to call out these five women um, as being, well, not Mary specifically, but we know that she was there as well. Um, these women to be important within this bloodline or within this historical record of Jesus, all right? And so that's a nice fact that I think it's interesting to take note of. All right, so we're going to kind of run through the historical account uh, this quarter. We're going to focus for uh, tonight at least on these uh, first two columns here. Um, In green, creation up to the fall, looking specifically at this first group of men right here at the top who i'll zoom in on right here adam all the way through noah now we know we've got accounts of these in matthew as well as luke um, but there are also two additional records in the uh, bible in the old testament that provide the exact same genealogies so uh, first chronicles chapter one uh, provides us another record of these same individuals um, and also Genesis chapter 5, you turn over to Genesis chapter 5. After the account of the creation and the fall, we have a record there that Moses provides for us. Of uh, He starts chapter 5 with, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And then he'll go on and provide for us throughout this chapter um, the same lineage of Jesus I'm taking it from Adam all the way through Noah. And then in chapter 6, we start off really with the story of Noah uh, himself. All right, so let's kind of go through, we're going to take kind of a very quick kind of overview of the highlights of some of these men that we read about as being the very earliest part of the family tree of Jesus. And the first of those, of course, is going to be Adam Flip over to Genesis chapter 1. So we know that we have the uh, days of creation accounted for here in this first chapter of Genesis. But if you uh, skip on down to verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, We had the very first man, the first person in this family tree of Jesus. And I want to call out a few really important points about these two simple verses. The first of those is, let's see, the fifth word of verse 26. What's the fifth word of verse 26? Us. Us. Let us make man in whose image? Our image. All right? So this is Moses writing, but he's quoting God. So it wasn't just God that created Adam and started this roller coaster ride that led to Jesus. It was an us. Who is the us? It's the Godhead. Right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three are part of this creation story. All three took part in the creation of Adam, planting the seed that would many years later lead to Jesus becoming incarnate. Jesus, he's right here. He's planting his own seed. Christ, that this whole story would lead up to after many generations, he's starting it right here. Christ starts the seed by creating Adam right there alongside God the Father and God the Spirit. All right? And God, Jesus, the Spirit, work together for this creation... And verse 27, so God created man in his own image. So this, at, this Adam, this man that was created by the Trinity, was made in the image of God. And I would argue, and I think you would all agree with me, that every generation from Adam all the way to Jesus was also made in the image of God that pattern continued all the way down through jesus so what does that mean all these men and women we talk about that are in this bloodline this family tree of jesus what does it mean that they were in the image of god what do you think They they have a god is a spirit they too have a spiritual element Were they eternal like God? So there's a caveat here. All right. Eternal implies no beginning and no end. God is eternal, neither a beginning nor an end. Adam was created, he had a starting point, right? So Adam is not eternal. However, that soul the image of God that was placed inside of Adam is going to be immortal. It has a beginning, but it's going to have no end. So I can't help but think about when I'm helping my kids with, like, math, right? We have these line segments with a start and a finish, and we have a line with an arrow both directions. It never ends either way. And we have this weird thing called a ray, right? Remember back to, like, eighth grade math, we're like, what in the world's a ray? Right? A ray has a start, and then the arrow keeps on going. All right, that's us. We're rays. We have a starting point, but that arrow just keeps on going into the future. We are immortal, at least the spiritual part of us is immortal because that's how God made us. We are in the image of God. We have a spiritual component just as God does. So God's going to create Adam. He'll also create Eve. He's going to give them a couple of commands. He's going to tell them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. And he'll tell them to subdue the earth and rule over the animals. And then we flip over two chapters. And what's going to happen in Genesis 3? We have the fall. All right? The seed was planted... Christ planted the seed that he knew would need to yield fruit in the future because of something that hadn't happened yet, and that was sin, the fall of man. And that happens right here in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve took of the tree, which was against God's commands, and the first sin was committed. You know, Drew's been going through a series of lessons for us about uh, true crime, sins of the Bible. And we've talked about the first sin. We talked about Cain and Abel, I believe, one of our Sundays, right? The fall is why we needed that seed planted at creation to culminate in Christ coming to earth. Because we had to have a Savior Many generations in the future, many years in the future, we were going to have to have a Savior. All right? And that seed was planted at creation, and it grew to a fully formed tree. And the fruit of that tree was Christ incarnate when he was able to offer himself as our blood sacrifice for the sin that Adam and Eve committed and all the sins committed ever since that point. All right, and in Genesis 3:15, of course, we have a very important prophecy where God says, "I will speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring; he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." This is speaking about that relationship between Christ and Satan. Satan would land a blow on Jesus, but it would not be a lethal blow. However, Christ would yield the lethal, the head injury, to Satan when he overcame death. All right, so we have there our quick account of Adam. And then we know from Drew's lesson a few Sundays ago that the first two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, What happened to them? Were they able to carry this bloodline? Did they carry the seed forward? No. Abel was killed and Cain was essentially banished. All right? So these first two sons of Adam and Eve would not be chosen to carry forward the seed. So it's going to fall now on the third son of Adam who is Seth. All right, so let's see. Look in uh, Genesis 4, 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again. This is after Cain and Abel's uh, encounter, and Cain is banished. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And then to Seth a son was born. His name was called Enosh. At that time the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So this is the third son of Adam and Eve, and this is the one that would carry forth the seed. We know nothing else about Seth except these few words written right here um, and his, the name of his son. All right. But then we get down a few generations and we come to another man that's not mentioned very much. We only know a little bit about him, and that is Enoch. Um, so this gets confusing here, but Seth's son is Enush with an S. And a few generations later, we have Enoch with the CH. So those are different, uh, different people. Um, but Enoch is a really interesting um, fella because he is only one of two men that we're aware of who never died, who God took directly to heaven um, because of their faithfulness. So, if you look at verse 27, uh, sorry, 21 of chapter 5, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all of his dates were 365. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. It's a pretty brief story right there of a man, a man that apparently was extremely faithful because of this fact right here. And we can read a few other details about Enoch over in the New Testament. So turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. So, of course, this is our um, hall of faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, we read a little bit about Enoch here. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Well, why did he please God? How did he please God? I think the next verse tells us. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's why Enoch was so pleasing to God. That's why Enoch was commended because of his faith. He was an incredibly faithful person to God, so much so that God took him. Um, turn further over now to the book of Jude. To the book of Jude. Jude. So in Jude, verses 14 and 15, he writes, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way And all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude calls Enoch a prophet. So not only was he a faithful man, he was also a prophet of God, according to Jude right here. And the prophecy that Enoch makes right here, Jude is alluding to the fact that he's referring to the ungodly people that Jude's writing about. So Jude's, his epistle is a warning about false prophets, and ungodly people. Um, and Jude is kind of quoting this prophecy of Enoch. But when did Enoch live? Right before the flood. So my take on this is, like many cases, of prophecy in the Old Testament, there was a very soon-to-be fulfillment of that prophecy and then likely a second fulfillment in the future. Jesus spoke a lot about these prophecies. All right. Jude's writing about a second fulfillment that he's writing these people about right now, these ungodly people that might come in to the church. But I think that Enoch's prophecy originally was a warning about the ungodliness that would lead to the flood. And here's additional evidence about that. So Enoch had a son, And his name was Methuselah. And he lived how long, Tim? 969 969 years, right? Oldest man we know about He lived. All right? So there are people that know more about this than I do um, that will say, you know, we learn about Drew's class, you know, the importance of names and what names mean. So the name Methuselah... Is thought to mean when he dies, judgment. Or maybe when he is dead, it shall be sent. Now, if you do the math, and smart people have done this, all right, if you do the math, Methuselah dies the same year as the great flood. Now, there are two possibilities. One, Methuselah died in the flood, a reasonable possibility. All right, option two is Methuselah died just before the same year, but just before the great flood. So that kind of leads us in two possibilities. Methuselah was an ungodly man, and he died with everybody else on earth, save Noah and his family, or Methuselah was a godly man, And he does not saved in the ark because he had died prior to the flood. I tend to lean more towards the latter. Methuselah's father, Enoch, was taken away by God to heaven. Methuselah's grandson, Noah, saved mankind in the ark with his faithfulness. I would, I would wager that Methuselah himself was a godly man if he book bookended by those two people. Regardless, this name Methuselah, when he's dead it shall be sent, or when he dies, judgment. Enoch is making a prophecy in naming his own son. When my son Methuselah dies... God's going to execute judgment upon the earth with the great flood. It all fits together. Methuselah died the same year as the flood, and that's when God executed that judgment upon the earth. And then we get, of course, to Noah. We could say so much about Noah, but uh, for the sake of time, uh, we will just uh, kind of glaze over Noah because we're familiar with this story already. And, of course, we have three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Shem would be the son of Noah to carry the seed of Jesus. Now, I know this is too small for you all to see, but every one of these gray bars is the lifespan of one of these men we talked about. And that vertical line, that's the flood. Now, you can see that after the flood, these lifespans get a lot shorter. So prior to the flood, we've got like 900 year lifespans of Abraham, not Abraham, Adam and Methuselah and Noah. After the flood, so on the right side of the vertical line, those gray bars get much shorter. If you zoom in really close here, maybe you can see this. You see the Enoch, he's got a pretty small bar because he didn't live a full life. God took him prior to his death because of his righteousness. His son Methuselah died the same year as the flood. That's how the math works out, from their ages when the flood happened. And then Lamech, the actual father of Noah, he died a few years prior to the flood based on how the math works out. And then you can see here that everyone prior to that died before the flood. And of course, Noah and Shem lived through the flood, saved on the ark. So that carries us from Adam all the way to Shem. all right. And we can see how these men were great men like Enoch. And they were men that sinned. We don't have time for it tonight, but we know that Noah was a sinful man. He sinned just after the flood. Uh, his son Ham was a sinner. All these men were imperfect, but they're carrying this seed that was planted at creation. It's going to keep on being carried all the way down the line. And as we go through this quarter, hopefully you'll appreciate that and trace this seed all the way down from generation to generation, and maybe appreciate how the story of the Bible fits together, leading us to this beautiful tree um, that blooms to give rise to Christ. Thank you for your attention. Have a good night.